John and Mallory and Brandon, thank y'all for leading us today. Oh, y'all, I love to be outside. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm feeling the connection um, with the Arboretum today. Uh, as much as I love the varsity um, to be in this place, our home at Love Chapel Hill, y'all, we needed, we needed the rain um, and we need some more. So let's, let's keep praying for that. Y'all, you have found us um, in the middle of uh, Praying the Psalms series. And so this is week four of Praying the Psalms, um, where we are, are walking through several psalms together, learning to take on the psalms, knowing and um, seeing this ancient prayer book of the people of Israel that we can find ourselves in. And so it is this practice of praying the psalms. And, and as we go through a psalm each week, we are praying them each day of the week. So if you are not yet on our email list, I want to encourage you to get on the email list so that you can get the weekly psalm and being able to pray those together each day as, as we walk through this series. But it is this idea of putting on the psalms that we can put ourselves in the place of the psalmist um, whoever may have written that, they speak to every human experience, to who we are as we are God's created image in this world. And so we have walked through Psalm 117 to get started, understanding that it is all nations that God is intending to reveal himself to. Getting to Psalm 24 and understanding our rightful place as stewards of all of creation, all that we have that we are stewards, not owners. And then Chris, last week, walking us through Psalm 98. What does it look like for us to sing a new song, to be found with the people of Israel, finding their freedom from exile, their freedom from separation, from their promised land, and from, from the garden, from the very beginning? So these are the prayers of God's people, and this book is assembled in, um, as the people of Israel are in exile in Babylon. And so that's where we pick up today, and we are going to pray this psalm together this week. Psalm 51. If you are there on the Sunday page, you can put it there in front of you as you read it. This one is a little bit longer than the ones that we have done thus far. So um, if you want to read along with me, you're welcome to. It's also okay if you just want to let it wash over you. So Psalm 51. We pray, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice where I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. God, may this be our prayer. As we learn from it, as we learn from you and get to witness more of who you are today, the depth of your love, the depth of your forgiveness, God, that flows from confession and repentance. God, teach us today. Open our eyes and our hearts to what you want to do in our midst. Amen. So this psalm is a little different from those we have been in thus far. Um, this one takes a, a different tone. It is a penitential psalm, which just sounds painful. Uh, penitential it makes me think of penitentiary, and maybe there's some connection to that. But this is a psalm of confession and repentance. It is a prayer for David, but it is also a prayer for us, each and every one of us who has ever sinned. Or those of us who are in sin in this place right now and looking for the path to forgiveness. Martin Luther says of Psalm 51, This is the doctrine of true repentance. It is set before us here. And because this psalm instructs us in these ways, it is to be used as an introduction to the meaning and practice of repentance. Repentance is this big word which just means turning from that which leads us astray to that which is life-giving, that we may pursue life. Repentance is this turning away and to, to something that brings us life, the fullness of life. So as we dive into this today, I want to begin with the end in mind. And if you are feeling the weight of sin, if you are feeling like you are in a place of bondage or you are carrying shame, let me tell you that there is freedom. There is freedom and it begins with confession and then followed by forgiveness and this repentance. It flows in this turning away from the things that lead to death to the things that lead to life. It is Jesus' desire for each and every one of us to have life abundant, life to the full. 
Today, y'all, as we are in this, it may feel like we journey down into a pit, okay? So I'm just giving you the heads up. It may feel like we are going to hit bottom, but I promise you that we are going to pull up, okay? There's another side of this, and we are going to pull out of that pit. One of the questions that came to mind for me as I'm reading this is just the simple question of what is sin? What comes to mind for you when you hear the word sin? Anything that might come to mind. You can shout it out if you want to or just have it in your mind. What? Say again? Cruelty. Cruelty. Mm. Mm. Disappointment, selfishness, mm. guilt, guilt. Mm-hmm. disconnection. Yeah, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of those, all of those are worthy to an understanding of sin. What we can often think of is that sin is this list of, or, or breaking laws, breaking known laws. Or maybe you put it in the category of the Big Ten, right? The Ten Commandments. Sin is to uh, pull, pull away from those commandments. Maybe it's the moral failures that come to mind. But each, each of the things that you listed, right? Those are, those are the impacts of sin within us, it may be helpful for us to just do a little bit of a level set on this to broaden our definition of what sin is. It comes from the Hebrew word hata. Hata is not a spiritual word, it's not a religious word. It simply means to miss the mark or to miss the goal. It almost seems too simple of a definition. But in that, we have to ask, what is the goal? The goal, if every person bears the image of God, then we should honor them as such. And at the same time, we honor one another who bear the image of God. We honor the one whose image we bear. And so sin is a failure to love God and love others by not treating them with the honor that they deserve. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't use Scripture as indicator for what what sin is or the, the Ten Commandments, for example, as a guide for us. In fact, half of the ten are oriented toward or as a guide to love and honor God. The other half of them really are an a guide for us to love and honor one another. And so this, the 10, is is a bit of an example for us and a guide for us to understand that. There, I left for you on the Sunday page in the teaching resources, which is one of, my, one of the fun things of this summer is I get to like kind of drop little Easter eggs for you if you want to go find them. <laughs> um, but the resources section of the teaching, or of the Sunday page, There is a Bible Project video that is simply, what is sin? 
um, and it is five minutes that will um, just bring such a, a better understanding of what sin is. So I commend that to you. It is a part of their Bad Words series. <laughs> um, and so it actually has, there is a video on what is sin, what is transgression, what is iniquity, these Bible words for um, that which is messed up. So um, go take a look at that. I've come to understand sin in my own life as anything that keeps me from being who God has created me to be. And so understanding how do, how do I know who God has created me to be is through the reading of Holy Scripture and through doing life with, in community with Jesus-loving people. And so understanding that sin in my life is anything that is distracting me, that is taking me away from God's will and purpose for my life. Psalm 51, to understand the context of the psalm, to get to the depth of it, we have to pay close attention to the superscript that is above it. We didn't read it at the beginning. It's not a part of the the 1 through 20 section of the verses. It is a superscript that is put above it, which reads, For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So many of us have an understanding or a common knowledge of the David and Bathsheba story. But for the full read of it, um, you'll want to turn to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. We are not going to read that together today, but I commend it to you to understand the fullness of this. 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. For the sake of time and the younger ears in the room on this family Sunday, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version and the PG version rather than the mature rating, which is available in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. <laughs> um, but this PG version of what is one of the most tragic and disgusting stories of the abuse of power and exploitation. David is the great and faithful king with great success, everything he could have wanted, everything. He had the fullness of God's favor on his life that brought him to this place where we pick up today. He saw a beautiful woman on the roof, uh, from the roof of his palace, and he sent his servants to go and find out about her. And so in their return with the message, knowing that she was married to a man in his military, he decided he wanted her for his own. So stealing another man's wife, he commits adultery. And then trying to cover it all up, he ends up ordering the murder of an innocent faithful man, which then winds up killing multiple other men in the process of trying to cover up what he has done. 
this y'all is the same shepherd boy that we know and we love. The one who takes on a giant with a single rock in a sling. With great courage. The one who takes on wild beasts. And he runs for his life till he is able to assume the throne as the rightful king. And he unites a divided nation. He is the underdog we have been cheering for. And then he does evil in the sight of the Lord. He has a moral collapse that will be a part of his story from that day forward for the rest of time. There is so much here, even in the PG version, right? There is so much that is untenable, and I even want to say unforgivable. But thank God that is not how the story goes, and I am not the judge. I hear we shouldn't judge unless we too want to be judged. But these scenarios, and this one in particular, is really hard. It is out of scenarios like this that we find cancel culture in our lives today. Isn't it easier? Isn't it easier to just erase his name from God's story? It'd be a whole lot easier to just not talk about that part. If we can just remember the good, right? If we can just skip that part. He said that David for us throughout the story of God is an example for us. Is an example for us in his great faithfulness. But also David is an example for us in his failure. In his failure, we get to see how both he and the Lord respond to confession and repentance. Friends, there is forgiveness to the depth of even this most horrendous place. That is the setting of right relationship between David and the Lord. But that doesn't make his actions remotely acceptable or excusable. God is not soft on crime. He is not soft on sin, especially when it involves the oppressed or the vulnerable. He is just, and he will judge in righteousness, and he will have mercy as he sees fit. Sin comes with consequences in this world. And there's not a getting off of the hook in forgiveness. David's story, as you continue to read in 2 Samuel, his kingdom falls apart. The favor of God in that, in that part of his life, in that way, is removed and the kingdom begins to crumble. These are egregious and horrendous acts. 
And we can, sad, can and do sadly see them continue in our headlines today. You know, we live in a day and time where abuse of power and position continues and has caused horrific trauma and life-stealing injuries, especially to women and children. The most horrific is the news that this is happening at the hands of trusted spiritual leaders and decades of abusive relationships and decades of church leaders sweeping it under the rug, trying to cover it up. Is David's story over and over again. God, we just stop in this moment to pray. For those who have been hurt, whose lives have been wrecked and destroyed by the power of sin in this way, where trusted leaders have taken advantage, God, where there is pain, that even, even in our midst, knowing that there are people who have experienced such tragedy and devastation. So God, first and foremost, we pray for healing. We pray that as a church family, we may be a vessel of your mercy and your healing in those ways. Can we also pray for repentance on behalf of the church at large? God, those who would choose to look away, to look the other way, God, bring about repentance in that. God, that your heart is a place of safety and of healing. The Lord despises evil. And evil creeps in through simple deception. Deception that takes root and has the power to lead astray. That just as David. David is the one we were cheering for up to that point, right? Pastors and church leaders didn't go into their roles with that in mind, most likely. But there are lies that we believe that we throw off our role as stewards and try to grab hold of something that is not ours. 
And so sin leading astray to take us off the mark. We may say to ourselves, but I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen someone else's spouse. I've not devised wicked schemes. I've not owned slaves or abused anyone. Good. Keep it that way. But it doesn't start there. The Apostle Paul, the foremost author of the New Testament, says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For some, that might bring comfort to know that you're not alone, right? For others, it may bring encouragement that, oh, all those times I was sinning and I couldn't help it is necessary for the story of redemption. But Paul cuts that off quick. He says, no, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? No, he says the wages of sin is death. And it applies to all sin, whether in thought, word, or deed, bringing us back around to what is sin. Sin leads to death. And sin is not a pretty picture of ourselves. There's no photo filter on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the app is that you are using these days that can fix it. It is an honest reality of where we are. Y'all, we have an enemy. We have an enemy whose goal is nothing but to still kill and destroy. The same enemy that was present in the garden that whispered to Eve and to Adam, you can be like God. The same enemy that whispered to the patriarchs through the ages that they could step out of God's will and take control on their own. The same one that whispered to David, it's okay, you're the king. Go for it. It's what feels right, then do it. One of the ways the enemy operates specifically is to get us to compare ourselves, even specifically compare our sins to those of others around us. My sins aren't as bad as that person's. I must be okay. I didn't, I didn't murder. I didn't commit adultery. But the state of your heart, that is what God sees. God alone sees the state of your heart. So Paul, again, who... Who is this apostle that has influenced the church as much, if not more, than any other? 
apostle sees himself as the chiefest of sinners. He says, The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, David, Justin, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That as we read this Psalm 51, we read ourselves in as David. And if we're thinking, I'm not as bad as others, right? Jesus himself heads that off at the pass for us. You've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. I tell you, anyone who has anger in their hearts has already committed murder. You've heard it said that thou shalt not commit adultery. I tell you that of one who lusts after another has already committed adultery in their hearts. So confession for us is this act which we as humans acknowledge what we are before God and what God is for us. We're sinners and God is gracious. Jesus told the story, right, of a man and a priest in the temple, right, a tax collector and a priest, where we think the priest is going to be the one who is after God's heart. But the tax collector says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Where the priest prays, Lord, let me not be like this sinner. That man's prayer was, in effect, the opening words of Psalm 51. And in verse 5 of this psalm, we see that there is a confessing not just one particular transgression, but a whole life conditioned by sin. From the beginning, right? A way of saying that not just have I sinned, but I am in existence a sinner. The problem is not just the need of pardon for one particular wrong, but a deliverance from the predicament of myself. Such confession leads to forgiveness. In confession, I put myself in the place of Adam and Eve. In confession, I put myself in the place of the people of Israel. I put myself in the place of David. The sins of all are concerned to me because they are the expression of the sinfulness that conditions me. 
And so confession actually is something that we do in community because the impact of sin is not just our own, on ourselves, but to the people and the community of people around us. And so this psalm is for us. There are two verses that can be really challenging as I read through this. Maybe not for you, but for me, and so I'll share that with you. But in verse 4, it says, In this crying out, against you and you alone have I sinned. It sounds like David is not considering the impact of his sin on everyone else whose lives he destroyed. But this confession here is not without the acknowledgement of sin on the impact, the impact on community. Because the, the Jewish understanding of sin, they are inseparable. To sin against another person is to sin against God. To sin against God is to sin against another person. The notion that a person could sin without injuring others is inconceivable in the Old Testament. Even idolatry, which might be thought to concern only my relationship with the Lord, was understood as damaging to one's community severely. The Old Testament knows of hidden sins and unintended sins, but not of private sins. Neither concern that neither concern nor affect others. When David recognized his wrong in the matter of Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. In speaking, he didn't mean that he saw no wrong against Uriah and Bathsheba and the community. His adultery and his murder were sins to the highest degree. Sins against the Lord. And it is the Lord who calls him into question. And so that is what we see in his repentance. The impact of sin on the community around us is seen still today. And seen perhaps the most in the midst of gun violence, mass shootings, that again this week our nation bears the weight of. And in gun violence where eight officers execute Jalen Walker. Sin does not just affect one person. Sin impacts the community around us. Ask the people of Highland Park. Ask the people of Akron, Ohio. And each and every one of us for whom it hits our newsfeed, it hits our headline, we all bear the weight of someone's sin. That it is to the degree we see in the life of David. 
So we want to pray in this moment for those who are directly experiencing that this week. God, you know, you know the state of these communities because you know the states of the hearts of each and every person involved. God, for the families of those who have experienced gun violence that lead to murder, to devastation this week. God, we pray for each and every family. For Jalen Walker's family. The family of Catherine Goldstein, Irina and Kevin McCarthy, Stephen Strauss, Jacqueline Sundum, Nicholas Toledo, Zaragoza, Eduardo, Uvaldo. That all of them have families who know and love them are in devastation today. We trust that you meet them. God, in senselessness, Their lives are stolen. You tell us not even a sparrow falls from the sky that you don't know. So God, meet them today in their mourning, in their anger. And for those who would perpetrate such a crime, God, God, for the eight officers who took Jalen's life in a way that is incomprehensible. May they awake to the reality of what's been done. And for the life of someone who would just open fire in the middle of a community celebrating our nation's freedom when many of us were having barbecues and having fun with friends, that such devastation would come from the power of sin and evil at work in Highland Park in the life of this young man. God, we see and we know because of what you have shown us through the life of David, that forgiveness is somehow possible. May it be by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, hear our prayer and our cries for mercy for our nation, for freedom and change in gun violence, knowing that it starts with us and walking in your ways. 
God, may we bring about the change that is needed through your grace and through your compassion, but God, through an unrelenting spirit of transformation. Pray in your name, Jesus. The second challenge for me, one of the verses in this is the challenge of what we do with the sin nature, that we are born with it. David acknowledges that he was sinful from his mother's womb. What do we do with that? And that God also desires faithfulness even from that place. We acknowledge that before sin entered the world, before the deception of the first humans, those people bore the image of God. The image of God that we bear is deeper down and further back than the seeds of sin in our lives. The seed of God's image is wanting to break through and grow for us a garden where we will live in communion with God and each other. The seeds of God's image want to break through. They are deeper down and further back than the seeds of sin. And so we pray in confession and specifically in this, in this psalm, there are two sections I'm going to highlight because I acknowledge that this is long and y'all sometimes when we sit down to, to dig into something, 20 verses of scripture can feel overwhelming. <laughs> and so there are two parts of this psalm that I will highlight and encourage you that even if you don't want to read the whole thing every day, pray these two sections. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. In verse 10 through 12, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. And grant a willing spirit to sustain me. Let's pray that together this week. That a clean heart, it would be our mind open and our will open to God. That the Psalms orient us to God. That a steadfast spirit would be a mind that is fixed and steady toward God, ready to praise, true to God, trusting even during evil times. That this is not a way of sin management, but this is an entire reorientation of life to the life of Jesus.
think it was Augustine that said, many will fall with David, but few will rise with David. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. In his kindness, God sends Nathan to confront David. That he is pursuing David even in the depth of his evil sin. And so his kindness reaches to David in David's immediate response is that I have sinned. And in recognizing that sin, it opens the door for God to cleanse, to wash as white as snow. Y'all, I had to look and see, would David have even known what snow was? (laughs) This is the desert, right? Like, is snow even there? But turns out, It snows in Jerusalem sometimes. I didn't know, and now I do. And so the idea that we could be turned from crimson, crimson red, to white as snow is only in the broken heart. God speaks in to our lives. We acknowledge, God, that I am yours. We are yours that we are not our own. May our mind and our will be yours. So if you are feeling the weight of sin, the weight of shame that comes with it, well, there is freedom. There is freedom in this place that God meets with us. It begins with confession, is followed by forgiveness, and it leads to a life of repentance, this ongoing way, turning away from the things of death to the things of life. Because Jesus paid it all. His body was broken. that you might, did you hear the break? That was it. It's real. His body was broken that we could experience life to the full. And he invites us into that each and every day. As long as we have breath, we have hope. And so we walk in his ways. The bread and the cup are his means of grace to us. As we take the bread and the cup today, may they be grace to you. To know that no matter where you are, he is ready to set you free from the weight and the bondage of sin and death. That you can experience life abundantly today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Come forward, and Tiana and Hope will tear off a piece of the bread and hand it to you. You can dip it in the cup to taste and see his kindness that leads us to repentance.
come and receive.